So most of my guests on this show are either operators or marketers. Very rarely are they both. Yet my guest on today's show, a guy named Sean Walshef, is just that. He's the owner of a restaurant out in San Diego called Cali Barbecue. Uh, it's a family restaurant he took over. It, he evolved that uh, from a breakfast place into a sports bar, into a barbecue sports bar. But he's also the host of the Digital Hospitality Podcast. Now, really, he talks about his own journey, and he uses his contacts leverages his network uh, to help us uh, have deeper conversations about using technology, about using digital uh, digital platforms to help drive awareness uh, and, and excitement for our brands. So I'm really excited to talk to him today to share this conversation with you today so we can bridge those two pieces together. Great conversation, great guy. I'm telling you, you're going to learn a ton. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Each week we toggle back and forth between a monologue style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated marketing concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now. This week's podcast is sponsored by Seven Rooms, a guest experience and retention platform for the hospitality industry. From neighborhood restaurants and bars to international multi-concept hospitality groups, their data-driven platform empowers operators to build more profitable direct relationships, deliver exceptional experiences, and increase repeat visits and orders. With a full suite of products, including reservation, waitlist and table management, online ordering, review aggregation, and marketing automation, Seven Rooms is the perfect choice for helping you gain a 360-degree view of your guests, both on and off-premise. Book a demo with Seven Rooms today and receive an Amazon gift card for $50 simply by booking the demo. Email hello at trysevenrooms.com with restaurant strategy in the subject line. So my guest on today's show is Sean Walshef. He lives out in uh, California. He opened a restaurant called Cali Barbecue out in San Diego way back in 2008. Uh, he also launched his own podcast called Digital Hospitality in 2017. Uh, interestingly, they sound like they are very different uh, worlds, uh, but they are, are very, very much connected. Uh, and over the course of this conversation, I hope to show you uh, how and why they're connected. Sean, welcome to the show. Chip, thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big fan of uh, your work. And I am a big fan of yours. Uh, I've been a fan of your show for, for quite a while. It was one of the shows that I kind of checked out uh, two years ago when I was just getting ready to start my show. Um, and I very much like what you're doing, but we never connected until we uh, found each other on Clubhouse, this this magical place <laughs> where uh, where food people go to, to find each other. Uh, and I found myself in rooms with you and like time after time after time, I was like, this guy is on fire. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That's the thing that I love about Clubhouse is it's a great place for anybody. If you're listening to this podcast, you know, I encourage you to get on Clubhouse and follow Chip 
and follow myself and and get into rooms and raise your hands you know it's i love podcasting because it's an audio platform you can drive on your way to the restaurant you know consume knowledge hear somebody that inspires you but then you know my grandfather he taught me to stay curious get involved and ask for help clubhouse is that bridge from podcasting where you're sitting there you're listening to this you're like this is great information clubhouse allows you to raise your hand and get involved and then you can ask for help you know the final step is actually asking for help reaching out to you booking a consultation with you to go deeper into some of the subjects that you bring up on your podcast so i'm i'm excited to to share our secrets everything that we've learned um going from a very difficult location to building a barbecue media company and uh really fired up for today i love it a barbecue media company. Uh, I can't wait to get into it. The beauty of why I wanted to talk to you, I think what you really have to offer, and and I'm sure you're aware of this, is that you're both an operator and a marketer. And I think so often those are two very, very different things. And the things that keep uh, an operator up at night are different than the things that keep a marketer up at night. Um, And yet uh, they are very, very closely aligned and you have aligned them I want to get to all of that, but I want to go back if we can um, to the beginning. So how did you get into food? How did you get started? What was your journey that eventually led you to open your own restaurant? So, uh, I mean, I was raised, I never met my father. I was raised by my Bulgarian grandfather. Uh, My Bulgarian grandfather was born in a village, born to be a farmer. And it was a love of curiosity, a love of reading that allowed him to read every single book in that village. So he had to actually walk to another village to read more books. And that led him down a path to become a medical doctor during World War II. He didn't get into any medical schools in in Bulgaria, his home country, because he didn't have enough money and he didn't have enough power. So he applied to medical school in Germany, even though he didn't know a word of German. So he literally had to study German in order to study medicine. And, you know, he lived this incredible life and he he raised me in a life of privilege. And that life of privilege, he was still an immigrant at heart. So at age 13, we took over a breakfast restaurant, a property that he owned. And he said, Sean, you're going to go to work, you're going to bust tables and you're going to wash dishes. And that was going to be my path. Um, on the weekends as a young boy and as a young boy like i said it was a, i lived in a privileged upbringing so I, I went to school in la jolla which is a very affluent part of uh, san diego and had friends and that would play sports on the weekend that would go to the beach on the weekend and i was spending time driving out to this breakfast restaurant to bus tables and wash dishes and i i mean i hated it to be honest with you it was something that <laughs> you know i hated it i was resentful i was you know young and immature and didn't know why why i had to spend time you know literally doing something that i didn't like to do but you know further on down the line as i went to school I studied business. I didn't like any of the business classes that I was taking. So I switched to sociology. And, you know, as these life lessons started to come into who I was as a young man, I started to realize that so much of what I learned in the restaurant was hospitality. It was the love of seeing people of all different walks of life coming into one place over food, over beverages, over a celebration, over a death in the family. There were so many different reasons why people came and they gathered at that restaurant. And for me, that was so compelling. It was something that drove me back to that same location. It was a love of sports entertainment. How do I bring a full liquor license to a breakfast restaurant and turn it into a sports entertainment destination? And that was something that me and one of my best friends from college did at the height of the economic recession. It was 2008. Um, I got rejected from all three law schools in San Diego and said, you know, well, what is my next career going to be? What's my path going to be? And there was an opportunity to take a full type 47 liquor license. Um, It was not being used. My grandfather said, if you'd like to buy it, you can buy it and activate 
activate it. So we purchased that liquor license and then we activated it at that same property that I grew up washing dishes and busing tables. And ultimately we said, yeah, let's do it. You know, young, naive kids. I was 26 years old and said, yeah, this is, this is what's going to happen. Even though everyone told us it was a terrible location, terrible time to open up a business and one of the most difficult businesses. But, you know, it was, so much failure in 2008 and so much of not being able to pay payroll, not being able to pay our bills saying, you know, we've invested all this time, we've invested all this money, we've raised money from family members. We have to succeed. So how the hell are we going to succeed? And what we started doing was literally understanding that we need to do anything and everything to get people to come into this restaurant. We need to go in on marketing. We need to learn what marketing is. We need to know what's available. We need to try and fail. So that was the the family business that you basically like it evolved, like the next iteration of that building became Cali barbecue. Yeah, we weren't even a barbecue brand when we opened. We took over an existing American breakfast restaurant, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., pancakes, waffles, chicken fried steak, um, pumpkin muffins, biscuits and gravy, eggs, omelets. Um, and we said, you know, let's make it a sports entertainment destination. All sports bars typically don't have great food. We had great breakfast. And on the West Coast, NFL Sunday, NFL kicks off at 10 a.m. We said, well, why don't we make a family-friendly destination where every single seat you get a great view of a flat-screen TV, high-definition, sound on, whatever NFL team you're cheering for, no matter where you sit, you're comfortable. But it's also comfortable for mom. It's also comfortable for the grandparents. It's also comfortable for kids. So it's not just a sports bar feel. It's a breakfast feel, but with that sports entertainment vibe. And that was really what drove us to open up the location and to build what we ultimately ended up building. Yeah, so then talk to me about those early days because like you said, you know, it was really hard, lots of challenges, lots of failures, and you just say, okay, we have, we gotta learn about this marketing thing and we've gotta figure out how to how to market this new this new property. For all intents and purposes, it was a restaurant opening, it was brand new. So then talk to me about that. Talk to me about that journey of like, like what were the failures and what did you have to learn? What did you learn really quickly and, and that, that turned it around for you? Yeah. So one of the stories I love to share is, uh, my, my business partner, Corey Robinson at the time, uh, 2008, he had a Facebook account and I was making fun of him for being on Facebook. I was telling him, you know, what are you doing on Facebook? You know, are you just trying to pick up chicks? We're trying to run a business. Like we can't even pay our bills. And I bring up that story because that was my attitude towards Facebook. That was my attitude towards social media. That was a place for business. Like we needed to market the restaurant for business, but it's such an important part of our story. And I bring up this date, which is June 29th, 2007, the day the first iPhone came out. Why is that an important date? It's an important date because it's an anchor in our minds and all of our minds. We can all think back to 2007, where were you or when did you first get your first smartphone? So much has changed in such a quick amount of time back to that 2008 i'm making fun of my business partner for having a facebook page but then fast forward to 2009 i'm creating a facebook business page for our account because i need to do anything and everything to get people to care about our sports bar to get care about our breakfast to care about now we're moving into barbecue how can i start to promote barbecue how can i start to promote fight night how can i start to promote nfl sunday and turns out facebook has these free tools that i'm allowed to do as opposed to spending money with the yellow pages and yes 2008 was long ago enough that i actually spent money on yellow page advertising yeah. but that was I listen to changes in pretty short time yeah, but that was a legitimate cost back then was yes you 
you yeah. get a listing in the yellow page book, you sign up for the local chamber of commerce, you know, you do all these things that standard operating procedures when you open up a new restaurant, so much of that changed because of the smartphone. So much of that changed because of social media. So much of that changed because our website mattered. All of a sudden, if I'm going to pay $2,600 to show the Manny Pacquiao boxing match, I have to pay this licensing fee based off of my occupancy. Well, when somebody goes and searches in Google where to watch the Pacquiao fight in San Diego, I need to come up in the search results. Like that much I knew. I didn't know anything about websites. I didn't know anything about search engine optimization, but I knew that I needed to talk to my web designer and say, hey, we need to fix the site so that we appear in these search results. Because out of all the 3 million people in San Diego County, if we're hosting Fight Night and we're one of the only nine bars in all of San Diego that is paying this licensing fee to do it, I need people to come and find us and they're going to find us on the internet. That was really the beginning of our path of understanding like, the internet is there and it is a tool that we need to optimize to get the attention of anybody that's looking for our products or our services. Yeah. So you, you're, you're quoted as saying uh, something to the effect that I'm going to paraphrase it, but that, you know, early on you realize much like you're saying now that in order to survive, um, that you had to run your company like a, like a mini media company. So talk to me about what you, what you mean by that. Cause I agree. I have, I have said this, um, back to, you know, episode five or six or seven of this, of this show is that I said, I think restaurants need to think of themselves like mini media companies, um, but you're living proof of that. So, so talk to me about how you came to that, what you mean by that. So yes, yeah, so much of what we've learned in 13 years of, you know, smartphone storytelling is what we talk about is that in the beginning, we had to learn how to market ourselves. We had to learn how to brand ourselves. We had to do the tools of learning how to take a picture on my iPhone and then upload that on Facebook. So that becomes a Facebook post. And then when Instagram comes out, that becomes an Instagram post. And then claiming a Twitter page and knowing that we have an opportunity to put on an amateur barbecue contest, we need to tweet about this as a press release because we're tweeting this information to the local reporters that would potentially cover it. Once we started learning all these tools, we realized that really what are we doing we're telling stories on the internet so we're using audio we're using video we're using written word and images four things so much of when we talk about media and social media and digital media marketing it gets complicated and we like to simplify it when you simplify storytelling there's four ways to do it it's images audio written word and video Video will get you most of those. It'll get you three of those, and it can get transcribed into written word, which is why we care so much about video, and so many of the social media platforms reward video. What we learned was now that we knew how to tell our story, we started realizing those skills that we're using every single day to post, to publish, to plan, to promote, now we can start telling other people's stories. We can tell the stories of our partners, our tech partners like our Toast point of sale company. We've been with Aloha for 12 years. Now we're switching to Toast because we want to be a digital first company. Well, we can create a video for social of me and my general manager, kind of a spoof video of us unboxing our tech equipment the same way <laughs> my son, I have a four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter, but my son watches these two kids that make $20 million a year. They have 50 million YouTube subscribers and all they do is unbox toys. They unbox Hot Wheels, they unbox <laughs> monster trucks, but people love unboxing videos. Well, guess what? There's not many people that are making an unboxing of restaurant tech gear. Like, why would a 
is our customer going to want to come and buy tech gear? No, no, they're not. But it gives us an opportunity to share our story. It gives us an opportunity to be a media company. And it helped what I hope anyone that's listening to this podcast is to think of social media differently. We all know what somebody checking the box is doing on social media. Like what makes you stop when you're scrolling? Something different, a different perspective. Give that inside perspective, that behind the scenes perspective of sometimes your customers are going to appreciate that more because then they're going to start to understand how much you care about technology in your restaurant. And guess what? You know who appreciates it even more than that is all the people at Toast. All the people at Toast that work so hard to make that product, the software, the hardware, the packaging, the marketing, the sales, all of a sudden they see the living proof of all their work as a restaurant owner and all the tools that they've given us to become this digital first restaurant. So I want to go back because because I think we're going to spend the majority of the time here talking about this digital hospitality and and what it is and, and how, you know, how you've turned your company into this media company more than just a food company. But but I do want to go back um, because there are a lot of operators that listen to this show. That's that's largely this community. Chefs, operators, yes, marketers and managers and all that. But I want to go back to this point where you said, you know, you got rejected by all, all these law programs, law school programs, and you said, well, maybe I'll just do this. But um, I don't want to skate over that because I'm sure that was a big, big decision. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that decision? Can you go back to that point and just... You said, okay, I'll do this, or I'll do this if I can make it what I want, or you were really excited about that. Get back into that headspace and explain a little bit more about that moment. Obviously, rejection is always something that's going to be difficult to talk about. And the rejection, what I what I say is, I, I truly believe the rejection, it hurt me more to think about myself telling my grandfather that I was rejected than actually being rejected. Because for me, I'm just a competitive person and I'm kind of, you know, tell me that I'm rejected and I'm, you know, I'll, I'll build my own law school, (laughs) you know, like all three law schools in San Diego. I'm not good enough for you. Well, I'll show you. It was kind of the mentality. I mean, that's probably why I still have the rejection letters framed on my desk. I mean, I literally have those rejection letters because for me, it's motivation. And that motivation didn't mean that I wasn't going to become a sports entertainment attorney or go down whatever path law school was going to take for me. But back to kind of the same reason why when I was in school and I was studying business, when I was studying business, the professors that were teaching it, just what they taught me wasn't compelling. It wasn't the thing that lit my fire. I had to go to sociology class for them to start talking about why people behave the way that they do, why their subcultures, why people are, you know, interacting the way they are in sports, why they're doing it in society for me to go, yeah, this is I'm drawn to this kind of the same way for me doing real estate. I did real estate, um, commercial real estate and residential real estate before I got into uh, restaurants. The same way that it wasn't so much the real estate as it was the opportunity. You know, if you come to Spring Valley where our restaurant is, you wouldn't believe that there is a family restaurant there that's doing $3.3 million in sales. You wouldn't believe that there's 64 employees at a single unit restaurant that built a media company that's done, you know, gotten all kinds of national coverage. But we did it because we believed that we could do it. You know, we believe that we could do it. We believe that we were going to use all these different tools, these internet tools, these social media tools, these digital media tools, podcasting tools, video tools to share our story because we know it's not just about us. It's about the other barbecue restaurant. It's about the other sports bar that's listening to the podcast. And we've developed so many deep relationships all across the globe where we never thought it was possible until we did it. 
you know, we have a video about how to make your bottle your own barbecue sauce that is does phenomenal literally once a, once a day once a couple times a week i'm getting somebody that's reaching out to us saying hey i saw your youtube video about how to how to bottle your own barbecue sauce you wouldn't believe how many people want to get into the barbecue sauce business until you make that content like are we professionals at bottling yeah, barbecue sure. sauce absolutely not but it's definitely it tells my Cali barbecue media team, Hey, maybe we should do more journalistic research, talk to our barbecue network and create more content because people want to know the answer to this question. Yep. yep. So in those early days, again, uh, you, you pivoted from this breakfast place to uh, a sports bar that served really great food. When was that pivot to go towards barbecue and, and, and how did that come about? So we, we always believed in, in building roots into our community. So it was always a question of if someone came in and they asked, can you help us? It was always, how can we help? So if they were asking to raise money for the church, if they were asking to raise money for the firefighters, if they were asking to raise money for local youth sports, the answer was always yes. And in the beginning, we obviously with the sports background, both me and my business partner grew up playing sports. We attribute so much of what we learned on the sports field to how we run our business, how to be competitive, how to show up, how to never give up, things like that. We know that being in Spring Valley where we live, there were so many youth that didn't have an opportunity to play sports because of cost. So whenever a team mom or a team dad would come in and say, hey, we're trying to raise money for equipment. We're trying to raise money for uniform. We would always say yes. We started hosting all of these fundraisers, so many so that it became an administrative too much work administratively to host all these work because it was, you know, bring in a flyer, here's a 20% off. Okay, now at the end of the night, we're not only reconciling the day of business, but then we're accounting for all this charity that we're doing and then writing a check. I said, why don't we rethink this? Let's put on one event. We don't have an event in our immediate community, an annual event. Let's put on an annual event that the community can take pride in um, and something that we can ask other businesses to participate. So it's not just us you know, doing the giving. We're asking other businesses to a rising tide lifts all ships. So we threw some ideas around with the coaches and the coaches, they came up with, hey, let's put on an amateur barbecue contest. Everyone got really excited about it. I said, okay, great. Well, who knows how to put on an amateur barbecue contest? Nobody. <laughs> so we had a great idea that everyone wanted to participate in, but we couldn't do anything with it. And I went to the place that everyone goes, and that's Google, and said, you know, how do you put on a barbecue amateur barbecue contest? And Kansas City Barbecue Society, which is the sanctioning body for professional barbecue, they have local chapters and they have people. I reached out to their head office and they gave me a list of three people locally that um, either organized events train judges or could potentially help us put on this amateur event and out of those three people one person called me back and his name was gene goikachea he was a local pit master he had put on amateur events he taught judges how to judge professional um, barbecue contests he said if you're doing it for the kids i'll help you do it uh, we put on that first amateur barbecue event he said you know i have old equipment i used to compete if you want to use the equipment, I can teach you how to do barbecue the right way um, if you're interested. And I said, 100%, we're interested in doing something different and unique in San Diego because craft barbecue really hadn't made a mark in San Diego. Um, a lot of what was being done wasn't low and slow barbecue. So he 
we got an old hickory pit. He taught us, you know, the recipes of how to do it. And I said, you know, this is something completely different that's not being done. This is going to help us marketing. It's going to help us have a point of differentiation. And we're going to go all in. We turned our name from Cali Comfort and added barbecue. And, you know, that was 2009. Now we've put on that amateur barbecue contest 10 years running. Uh, we put on a professional barbecue contest um, at the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club. We've done that for four years and you know, have kind of gone down this barbecue mecca. And it, it's funny because when you start getting in the national barbecue contests and the National Barbecue Association and Kansas City Barbecue Society, whenever you're from the West Coast and especially from San Diego, they look at you like you're crazy. You know, you talk to somebody from Texas or from Kansas City or from Memphis and they're like, you guys don't know what you're talking about with barbecue. But then, you know, after years and years of proving it and doing it and putting on podcasts and putting on barbecue events now uh, we've gotten a good uh, a good credibility for the west coast barbecue movement so we, we've really come a long way what i love so much about this conversation so far is that uh all we've talked about is evolution 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 you know like you know what you were passionate about and what you were learning about and what you weren't really excited about you know, learning about business, you switch to sociology, which of course, sociology directly relates to marketing. Yeah. <laughs> Just figuring out why people do certain things and how you can compel them to do certain things or how you can solve problems that they don't even know they have. That's marketing. Um, but then your your own, you know, career trajectory and, and how there was an evolution there. And I think oftentimes, especially when you're dealing with operators, with restaurants, there's this pressure. Um, and I, I know I feel that I've opened, uh, I don't know, nine different restaurants over my career. And there is this pressure to get it right, right out of the box, <laughs> that you got to know who you are, what you are, who you're for, what you're serving, why you're serving it that way, and have it all served up. And, and I live here in New York City. I've opened most of uh, these restaurants here in New York City, uh, where there is, again, this immense pressure, because it's one of the few markets uh, that still has a dedicated food critic. It still has a dedicated food critic who, who has power. Uh, people listen to what uh, that person says. And so you really do have to figure it all out, quote unquote. Um, and, and I'm always telling people that that's not the case. That's not not even remotely the case, yeah. that, that you will evolve, that you should evolve. And here you're talking about over the course of just two or three years, um, you turned pretty significantly. And now now that has taken the thrust of uh, that. That's really driven you to where you're at now. Talk a little bit about that evolution and you make it sound so easy, but I'm sure at the time it wasn't sure. easy. I'm sure there was there was sleepless nights and all that. So talk about that, the decision-making process and letting it happen or or making conscious decisions to, to change direction. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I look at the evolution of our brand, so much of it has to do with gut feeling, knowing that it's right, even though, you know, seeing the signs feeling the signs, hearing the signs that maybe barbecue is the way. I mean, I remember distinctly having conversations with Gene Goykachea, our pit master, our mentor, the one who taught us, you know, how to get into this barbecue game, who really gave us credibility of saying, you know, Gene, I want to turn our barbecue restaurant, our breakfast restaurant into a barbecue restaurant. I literally want to become from Cali Comfort that serves known for breakfast. You know, this is an establishment in the in the community that we're going to be a barbecue restaurant. We're going to incorporate barbecue into our breakfast. We're going to go all in. We're going to brand ourselves as a barbecue restaurant. He goes, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Like, I don't want to be responsible for you going down this path <laughs> and failing. 
but I knew in my heart that this was best for the brand. I knew that this would give us the marketing angle, the leverage, the quality angle of pride of knowing that what we're doing is different and unique. Are we going to be the, we're never going to be the best barbecue. Like that's the best thing that I've learned is that we'll never be the best at anything. That's the, you know, in marketing and in marketing, they always talk about that, right? Like the better trap. Yes. Like, you know, if you're measuring by quality, number one, how are we judging quality? That's something that nobody ever knows. So, uh, oh, this one's better than that one. How? Why? Yeah. On, on what? How are we judging that? But uh, just taking it it's, uh, on the surface, right? Um, quality only exists on one axis. You can just slide it up and down, up and down. That's it. It's better. It's it's better. It's worse. It's best. It's the <laughs> so. What does it mean when we say oh, it's the best? What it's better, uh, which is why so much marketing is really um, hinges on differentiation. Yes. Meaning, you know, finding you know the ways in which you are different, which w- we'll get to. But but I didn't mean to to, to derail what you no, were saying. No, but, I, I appreciate um, it. You're never going to be. The, I'm never going to be the best podcast host. I'm never going to be the best restaurant consultant. I'm never going to be. What I do is offer perspectives from my experience that help people. That's all I can do. Yeah, and and that was understanding that early on that we weren't striving to be the best. We wanted to be unique, and we wanted to do the thing that we did the best possible that we could do. Not to be the best, but we also wanted to celebrate great barbecue no matter who made it whether it was an amateur barbecue cook which is why we put on an amateur barbecue event no matter if it was a caterer who was down the street whether it was a barbecue restaurant down the street we wanted to celebrate the local pit master no matter what kind of barbecue they were cooking that made us different that made us unique the fact that you know i remember early on reaching out to brad cooper who owns coops west texas barbecue to reaching out to Derek marceau who owns valley farm market both shops less than a mile away from us that serve barbecue and reaching out to them to say you know i'd love for you to help participate in this event we're going to put on an event to celebrate barbecue in san diego and they looked at me like i was crazy you know, they're like, what kind of agenda does he have? Is he trying to, you know, <laughs> undercut us? Is he trying to set us up? But ultimately, once you started working together, we realized he is as crazy as he sounds. Yes, he wants to do something absolutely ridiculous. But by doing that, we created a movement and we created a culture where it was okay for someone to come to our barbecue restaurant and then go down the street and eat at Coop's restaurant. That's it, there right? There, I mean, there's like there's an abundance of guests. Yeah, and when you do that, you create a category. Right. So now yes. you get to this place where it's like uh, we did this in Key West. We went Key West, I don't know, seven years ago. And I said, I, I-, I got to have key lime pie. And we're down there. And my wife was like, yeah, yeah, we'll get you a slice of key lime pie. I was like, what? I'm trying six slices of key lime pie yes. over the Correct. course of the day. And we'll split them. I'm not going to eat them all myself. But like I'm going to judge best crust, best filling. But like, yes, we're going to I'm not there for a slice of key lime pie. That's, That's certainly... like going, going to German, Germany and having a bratwurst. Oh, it's like I'm eating bratwurst every single meal. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and you know what? And listen, they know it. And so Key yes. West survives. They thrive because people know that like you get the top 10 list or the top 20 key lime pie places and you're going to hit a bunch of them and so again to quote you just a second ago right that famous quote all boats rise in a flood you know like yes rising waters will lift everybody and so now key west is better same thing right um what's the main drag there with all the bars like like if there's just three cool bars it's not as popular but there are like 20 and so people are going to go drink here and a drink there and go see music there and go for a drink. And they're just going to wander down the street. It's why yep. um, it, it, it's why community is, is such a big thing. So 
So then talk about that. Then when they thought you were crazy and then they finally caught on, how has that, how has that helped shape your identity in the community? Very much. I mean, it's, it's been such a key piece of who we are and what we do because, you know, it was actually what my best friend was telling me, cause I always say it's a rising tide lifts all ships. And then there's also a rising tide lifts all boats. And he said, do you know what the difference between a ship and a boat is? And I said, no, I don't. So, well, boats can fit inside of a ship. A ship can't fit inside of a boat. And like for me, that's been a powerful analogy for what we're trying to do is because, yes, we want to find boats, but really we needed to find ships first. We needed other ships, other industry giants, other people that had an established barbecue business for the idea to actually take off. So for the idea to take off, we needed other barbecue restaurants like Coops, like Derek Marceau, like um, Grand Old Barbecue Asado, like Corbin's Barbecue. We needed all of these barbecue heavyweights, pitmasters to go and buy into this idea so that they knew that we were building something bigger. And by doing that, we really made a mark out here in San Diego. And we had, you know, we I talk about this a lot is the San Diego craft beer scene was a great thing for us to watch yeah, you know sure. watching how carl strauss and stone and ballast point they helped because of collaboration not because of competition competition made them better you know they would go and compete and it would made them somebody always trying to be a little bit better striving to be better but they also didn't compete in the coke versus pepsi war you know it wasn't trying to undercut and undermine each other it was how do we share you know craft beer to craft beer what are we doing right what are we doing wrong how can we improve upon that and once we started podcasting, it became an even deeper relationship. So putting on an event with all the barbecue pitmasters was one thing, but then spending an hour learning about their business, their story, what made them successful, how they do marketing, what they're doing operationally, how they handle HR. It really gave us an insight to know, hey, we're all in this thing together. Like there, we're not competing. And now we have this network of restaurant owners, not just barbecue restaurant owners, but other restaurant owners that own Mexican restaurants, that own burger shops, that own ice cream shops, that we all talk to each other and we've created, you know, a community and there's these different communities online as well. You know, there's different podcasters that I listen to that they have their communities. What the theme is from all of them is people that want to get better that yep. want to improve, that understand that the status quo is not going to get them to the next level of their business and to know that there's so much more out there because of the internet, because of the internet, because of where we are right now in 2021, there's so much that we can do for our village. You know, I talk a lot about the village because my grandfather's from a village. Um, I just spent a month with my in my wife's village, but I know that the small restaurant that's in Bulgaria, if they start to do the things that we've done in Spring Valley, they can make an impact not just in Bulgaria, but they can make an impact in their city, in their region. They can make an impact where all of a sudden they're on Clubhouse and they become a voice of what's happening in Eastern Europe. Just the same way that I love Clubhouse because you and I can be having a conversation. You're telling me about New York. Guy, Clark is telling us about what's happening in Florida. I'm chiming yep. in for what's happening in San Diego. And then all of a sudden, someone from Nepal comes yep. and tells us what kind of robotics are coming into their business. I mean, it's it's really this true community of how do we share this information and how do we become better? 
Yeah, for sure. I've talked about Clubhouse uh, a few times on this show, and uh, I'm an active uh, I'm an active voice on the platform. Less so in the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's because I broke my uh, ankle, and it's uh, it's very difficult for me to to do anything or get around. And so <laughs> it takes me longer to do things. But I, I will get back to Clubhouse. Um, but I, I've really been uh, really taken by the uh, by the community. How generous and, and warm it is. Um, I, I want to go back to something you talked about and use that as a as a segue into this larger marketing conversation. But you were talking about the difference between boats and ships. I love the analogy. It's really great. But you, you gather all these ships and you say, okay, I'm going to be a ship too. You know, with all these other ships. But then we talk about differentiation. So you got a category, right? Mm-hmm. Barbecue in San Diego. That's the that's the category. How did you start thinking about differentiating yourself and the brand you were building from some of those other companies, some of those other restaurants that were out there? Well, I mean, number one, we were sports entertainment driven. So what you're getting at Cali Barbecue is going to be different than what you're going to get at any of the other concepts. Yes, they have TVs, but like literally we built our restaurant for fight night. We built it for NFL Sunday. We built it for the Olympics. We built it for NASCAR. You name the event, we have the TVs, we have the capability, and we have the ingenuity to understand, yes, streaming has come a long way, DirecTV has come a long way, but back in 2008, I mean, the amount of relationships that we had to build in order to take care of the super fan, yeah. no matter what you're a super fan of, if you're a super fan of you know, European soccer, we're gonna figure out a way to get that on. If you're March Madness, we would open up the restaurant before tip-off because we understand that you have your bracket and we understand you know, every single game needs to be on with sound. Right. So we did those things as an organization, which set us apart from so many of the other barbecue brands and even restaurants. Yeah, I love it. So, okay, so then eventually over the course of this evolution of a couple of years, you say, great, we're, we're a barbecue restaurant or barbecue first. Um, our differentiation point is that we're a sports bar um, yep. more than, you know, certainly any of the, the other places out there. It's so, so, so important. I talk about uh, differentiation all the time uh, because I believe it's the foundation for for all marketing. I think understanding your position in the market is is that important. So how do how do people begin to do that? I always think that the danger is when when you don't realize or you don't when people don't know if they have a point of differentiation, if they have a clear position, which usually the answer is uh, that they don't. How do you begin to do that? Or I mean, you certainly you've talked to enough people um, and you've seen the way they do it. Um, how, how do people get started with that? So I had a I had a, a guest on our podcast named Phyllis, and she's a strong advocate in uh, in Clubhouse. But she said something on the podcast that I I really love, and she was talking about talking to restaurant owners and helping them come up with their brand voice. And she said, "You've got to lean into your crazy," and. I love that because so many of us have crazy, like we're crazy about, like you can't be in the restaurant business and not be crazy. I mean, we're crazy about people, we're crazy about hospitality, but you know, understanding that if this is your restaurant, if you're listening to this podcast, it's your restaurant, it's your brand, it's your baby. I mean, literally it's your baby. I mean, the restaurant, I I have two children, but like the restaurant is also one of my children. Like it's something that Cali barbecue has evolved from California comfort restaurant and sports bar to Cali comfort to Cali comfort for barbecue to now just Cali barbecues like this 13 years that says evolved and now is you know a teenage child and we're moving into a digital space but I had to create something that I loved that I would be at every single day which is why that sports bar component was so important to me because sports entertainment is just a part of who I am and that it's seasonal so we would go from football season to baseball season to basketball season to fight night it always gave me something to energize myself. I leaned into that. 
that was my crazy, you know, leaning into that. And you can be a burger place and you can love burgers, but like, what else, like, who else are you? You know, who else are you and what else is going to excite you to want to come to work every day? And for me, a lot of it was not just caring, like I said, about the roots in the community, but outside of the four walls of our restaurant. You know, we are an event company. We are tailgaters at heart. Ultimately, everything that we do, tailgating, barbecue wise, sports entertainment wise, is how do we create an experience around sports? And we do that with barbecue. We do that with going out to barbecue events, hosting barbecue events, participating, you know, getting our barbecue into San Diego Sports Arena, where our amateur hockey team plays by developing relationships with the San Diego Chargers, catering for them, which I would have done for free, but I ended up, you know, creating <laughs> opportunities where they're paying me, you know, developing relationships with local radio hosts that are on sports so most restaurants are looking for the food critic to review their restaurant i was getting sports reporters to care about our brand and to intertwine our story into what was happening with the chargers what was happening with the padres what was happening with the aztecs i was getting media coverage in an untraditional space so understanding who you are and why like why you need to have this place like making sure that the restaurant is a reflection of you yeah. and your identity it's funny um uh, bob and kate carpenter are listen uh, listeners of the show um they've been guests on the show uh they've got a place called sunnyside kitchen uh, out in your neck of the woods in escondido and uh they coined this word called uh, genuinity yeah right like like the, the act or that the nature of being so you you know that that it's like that no one else could be more that than than that like that, that's that this it. is so me that's so itself the cali barbecue is so in and of itself um that nobody else could do it better you couldn't do another version of this it is so it's so genuine and authentic and um that place definitely has themselves in it you know they're they are the lifeblood running through it just in the same way that you're talking about you and your passion for sports and you know all the things that you brought to it um, has made Cali barbecue what it is so start there right understand you know who are you and why do you have to open this place why does yeah. this place need to exist yeah I mean it's it's building the place that gets you excited to I mean I can't wait to wake up in the morning because I can't wait to see what we're going to build you know and and it's evolved too the fact that we're always learning we're always evolving the we don't even do breakfast anymore like COVID was the end of breakfast at our restaurant. Yeah. And that is very hard for people that love our breakfast in our community. You know, there's groups that would meet on Saturdays and Sundays that can no longer meet at our restaurant. And that was a very difficult decision for us to do. But we knew just the way we knew back when we decided to become a barbecue restaurant, that this was the evolution of our brand, that now we were going to simplify our menu. We weren't going to do breakfast on Saturday and Sundays. There were slower day parts. They weren't as profitable, much more labor, labor intensive. We're going to focus on being the in and out of barbecue on the West Coast and building the Amazon Prime of barbecue. We, we need to figure out how do we leverage technology? How do we leverage the media that we're creating to literally get barbecue on people's terms, on their terms, not on our terms? They don't need to drive 45 minutes from Escondido down to Spring Valley and wait an hour in line on an NFL Sunday to enjoy brisket. If they right. want brisket, they're going to go on their phone. They're going to tap two buttons on our mobile first website, order order brisket and we're going to figure out a way how to get it delivered to them in 20 minutes they don't have to spend 14 hours cooking brisket at their house barbecue takes time and it takes expertise we've figured that out so now we're doing everything that we're doing is trying to leverage technology media and 
quality of barbecue and how do we distribute that? How do we become a distribution company? And how do we share what we're learning, all the failures and the successes on media so that the person that's listening to this podcast that owns a barbecue brand in Chicago, they can go, hey, look what they're doing in San Diego. This is a non-traditional way to scale our brand, to be more profitable, to create a better environment for our staff moving into the future where they can have paid time off and they can have health insurance and they can have all these things that they're not used to in a full service sports bar. I mean, we had 64 employees at one location. That's a lot of employees. It's a lot. Yeah. We're going to be able to open up 10 ghost kitchens, have a master smokehouse and a media center, and probably have less than 64 employees with this new model. I can't wait to hear about that. I want to get there. I want to talk about digital hospitality, not just the podcast, but this is really your kind of theory for how to market in the restaurant industry. So so talk to me about this because uh, the idea came first and the podcast came later as, a, as an offshoot from that. Yeah, so digital hospitality, it's really our ongoing thesis and it's nothing that we own. It's just an idea that, you know, kind of has just come to fruition the more conversations that we've had on podcasts, the more that we talk on club. Literally, it's, it's everywhere that I go. When I was in Bulgaria, I was talking about it. It's because that every business needs to be digital. You have to be digital first. I mean, th there's just no way around it. You can't go in the airport. You can't go to school. Everyone is looking down at their smartphone. Everyone. I don't care where you are in the world. There are people walking around looking down at this. That's where the attention is. So if your business, if you have a brick and mortar business, an actual physical business, and you don't have a profile digital, you're going to go out of business. I mean, it's very tough thing to say, but as a father that has two children, knowing that I can't take them to Toys R Us. I mean, I grew up on Toys R Us. Yeah. The fact that there is no Toys R Us is everything you need to know. Like, there's no Blockbuster. Literally, my children are streaming. They already understand what content is. They know how to skip ads on YouTube. Like, this is the next generation that's going to come up. And if you don't have a profile on all these different social platforms where all the attention is, it's gonna be very difficult to do business. But the key is, a lot of people talk about digital. A lot of people talk about needing to be having a mobile first website, needing to be on social. But what is hospitality? That's really the gift that anyone that's listening to this podcast knows hospitality. Hospitality is a feeling. You know, hospitality is that level above customer service. Customer service is bullshit. Everybody that listens to this podcast, you go in and you go to a Home Depot and you try to get customer service. Customer service is treating someone like a human, like saying hello. That's not customer service. <laughs> Hospitality is how do you make someone feel? When I walk into Home Depot with a light bulb from the restaurant, one of the 700 light bulbs we have, and I ask somebody, I have to go chase someone down in a yellow vest and say, hey, can you tell me where to get this light bulb? And instead of walking me to where that light bulb is, they'll go, oh, hey, it's three aisles down. Go find it yourself. Well, why, why, why can't they take the time to go and bring someone to that light bulb so that they can come get, get taken out? That's what we're trying to do in, the hospi in hospitality in our restaurant. This is a story I like to tell is uh, early on, we have a, we have a restaurant that's a two-bedroom house that's an add-on to an add-on to an add-on. And we had a very difficult time in the beginning with our Yelp reviews, with our service standards, with the hospitality that we were providing. And me and my general manager, um, we said, well, how can we fix this? Um, every restaurant knows what a please seat yourself sign is. There's a sign that says, please seat yourself or it's please wait to be seated. 
So there's a reason why an operator will put that sign up, and it's a hospitality hack. It's so that literally you can save labor, you can communicate to the guest, we're gonna wait, there's no, this is in between lunchtime and dinner time. We're not going to have a hostess on. We're going to pretend that the manager is going to cover, cover the front door and that they're going to greet somebody. So what happens when you walk into the restaurant? You walk into the restaurant, you see the sign, please seat yourself. You get really excited. Okay, great. I so choose your own adventure. I get to go sit wherever <laughs> I'd like. Go and you sit down and what happens? You literally get the worst service you've ever had because it's in between periods. You know, as a, as a former server, like, you have a section that's too big for yourself or you're wondering, you know, when are the rush going to come? You always get the worst service in a restaurant, the worst hospitality during the slow periods. So that sign, we said, what if instead of having that sign, we invest in hospitality and we always pay to have a host at the front of the restaurant, no matter the hour of the day. We're always going to pay to have a host. It literally transformed our business because every time someone came into the restaurant, they were greeted. Every time someone left, we, they, we said thank you. Every time someone came in with a stroller, we opened the door for them. Every time someone called, the phone was answered. That was an investment. That increased our labor cost, but it was the best thing that we did for our brand. We took that same principle of hospitality in real life and we transferred that digitally we said what if somebody every time somebody sends us a comment on our facebook page we're going to respond to them not 24 hours later not 48 hours later but within the same shift what if every time someone sends us a tweet we respond what if every time someone sends us an email we respond within an hour to their email inquiry what if we did every single platform what if we created these oh shit moments for people that becomes a memorable moment the same way it does in real life, because then they go, wow, somebody took the time to respond. I can't believe that there's restaurant owners that don't respond to Yelp reviews. I just can't believe it. I can't believe people take a stance about Yelp where it's a platform where there's 180 million people searching for products and services. You can claim your business page for free. You can add photos for free and you can engage with people who have actually had your product and services. Are you going to get, guess what? We've gotten a lot of bad Yelp reviews, a lot of one-star Yelp reviews, and they didn't feel very good. But once we invested in hospitality, once we took the time to respond to every single Yelp review, once we took the time to thank the people that wrote a five-star Yelp review, our Yelp review scores started getting higher. We have over 2,500 four and a half star reviews on Yelp. We've gotten so many business opportunities because people have found our brand because of Yelp. National stories that people have found our brand because of Yelp, because we've invested into Yelp. We've invested to that digital hospitality, no matter what the platform is. Remove the ego, forget about how you feel about Yelp or how you feel about Facebook. There's people on there searching for products and services. Treat them as if if they were in your restaurant. If they were in your restaurant, would you ignore them? Yeah. Okay. So I want to I want to put a pin in that for just a second. I want to come back to it because I want to go back to something you just said. You said we want to give people those oh shit moments, which is great. We anybody in hospitality understands the theory behind exceeding the guest expectations in hotels. They call it surprise and delight, right? Like yep. like people take pictures of their hotel room when right. We know that most of the time we walk in and say, okay, it's serviceable. Yeah. Right? And you can think those couple of times, I think back to my own life, it's probably three times in my life when I've walked in and gone, oh, 
shit. Yes. And I take a picture of it, right? And so how do you, there, there are touches, there are flourishes um, in a restaurant throughout a meal, uh, you know, that, that make you stop and go, oh my God. And certainly it happens at a high level, you know, in some of the best restaurants in the world. Uh, but I'm always amazed at when that, ha- when that happens at a very low level, at the, at the most basic level. And there are still things that surprise me. So then talk to me about how you do that in the restaurant and then also how you do that digitally. So I, I think one of the most exciting things, um, and we've started to create content around it, but it's the toast order and pay. Um, toast order and pay is creating oh shit moments because what you're expecting in a restaurant, in a full service restaurant, sports bar, especially guests that have been loyal to our brand for the last 13 years is they're expecting to come in after COVID to get greeted by our hostess, which they still get greeted by the hostess, but then they expect to get seated and then to have a server come and take their order. Well, that's not happening now. They get greeted by the hospitality host. They bring them to the table and they explain to them, this is a QR code. You're free to order your drinks and your food whenever you like, You're free to pay whenever you like. 90% of the guests understand the QR code, they understand how to order it. They're getting these oh shit moments where they go, oh my God, this is weird because I don't have a server to come to explain to me, you know, the things that even though they already know the menu, they're not working their way through, this is brisket, this is pulled pork, this is our tailgater. Instead, they're going digitally through a UI experience, through this user experience on the Toast website where they can actually go, well, I can order my drink. And oh, I never even thought about adding grilled onions and jalapenos to my pulled pork burger. But because this has popped up and has offered me that, now I'm going to add it. Now I've just created a sandwich that I never thought was possible, all because, and I did it myself. And it came to me 10 minutes faster than it would have if I was waiting for a server. So that's literally technology, order and pay, coming into the restaurants, creating these oh shit moments where not only did they have this incredible experience that they had for themselves that they ordered through their smartphone, but now when they go to a different restaurant and they're sitting on the patio and they're waiting for a server to come and order their drinks, what do you think they're going to be thinking about? They're going to be thinking about why doesn't this restaurant have order and pay? Because by the time the server comes and orders the drinks and they go and they put in the drinks, they could have ordered the food for their kids. You know, as a family, I can order the food for my children right when I get there, which yep. is what we train our servers to do. The first thing you do is, you know, you go to the, would you like us to put the kids meal in as an appetizer? Absolutely. But guess what? Not every server does that, you know, so these surprise and delight moments, these technology moments, this digital hospitality, it's happening all around us. And on an operator side, what I'm so excited about is is the labor. It's literally helping us not only save 100%. labor, but reinvest that money and that time into our hospitality hosts, into our bartenders, into our managers. We can create a better environment for our staff. Just because we don't have a server doesn't mean that we're not providing service. Yeah, this is, it's separating, I mean, Danny Meyer always talks about this, separating service from hospitality, yes. right? Service is the monologue that we do this, then we do this, then we do this, then we do this. Hospitality is the dialogue, right? Yeah. Is, is, you know, how that goes back. And so things are still happening. You sit down, you order, you get your food, you eat, you, you know, all of that stuff is still happening. It's just, we have to rethink service, but it, it doesn't have to mean taking out hospitality from it because they both exist. They're two parallel lines that are running down the same road over the course of a meal. And I am all in on everything you're talking about. It's a majority of what I'm working on right now with my clients in all different cities around the country is, I don't believe five years from now, 
I, I believe 50% of the restaurants in this country will not have waiters, that they will be replaced by order and pay just because it doesn't make sense for a whole host of restaurants to pay. And especially, I live in New York, you live in uh, California, we're talking about minimum wage here Absolutely. in New York. New York City, it's $11 an hour. Out there in California, it's $15 an hour. Yep. And uh, if we're gonna pay $15 an hour, we should we should get more from them, and we should uh, we should expect more from them, we should give them the opportunity to do more than just be order takers, you know, to copy something down and regurgitate it into a computer yep. in the corner of the uh, in the corner of the restaurant. So then, talk to me about how that is creating a better or more hospitable experience. Are you, do you have more managers on the floor? Are they able to be more present? Do you have kind of you know captains? Kind of are, are there other personnel on the floor? to help guide people to answer questions, things like that? Yeah, so I mean, the, the hospitality host has taken on a much bigger role. You know, I almost okay. liken it to a concierge at a hotel, an old school concierge where somebody's actually going to answer questions for you, yeah. guide you, let you know how things are, are working. The manager is actually having more time to spend with the guest. Um, it's really just an exciting time because the most valuable time, the most valuable thing that people have is time. It's time. And once you give them the gift of time and you're giving them an incredible product that they're already that they always already enjoy and you give them the opportunity to now be enrolled in rewards to you know put their credit card in so that they're already like it's all this seamless frictionless experience where like i said it's one thing to have that experience at our restaurant but it's an even more powerful when they go to another restaurant and they don't have it yep. you know when you all of a sudden go on an airline and you have a paperless ticket and you can just go in, check in, don't have to wait in line, and then you go back to the old experience. Once you go back to the old experience, all you want is the digital yep. experience. I want to <laughs> skip the line. Why do I want to wait in line and waste this time that could be valuable time with my family or my friends or my colleagues? I could not agree more. It's funny. I was telling the story a couple of weeks ago about how I was at uh, Shake Shack, the original Shake Shack, right? Madison Square Park in New York City. Uh, and still, there's an hour line, no matter what time of day, what day of the week. Mm -hmm. And this one day, it was like 45 minutes and we got in line and I'm looking at it. I'm, I said, there's a QR code up there. I bet you there's a QR code. Just order. So I go up, I scan, I download the app. I order for everybody. We order. We pull everybody out of line. We would have been in line 45 minutes yep. and we had our food within 11 minutes, like literally sitting in the park <laughs> on our blanket eating yes uh eating our food in 11 minutes yes and it would have taken me 45 minutes to get up to the window and i just felt like turning back and saying what like what is this person at the window adding to this experience they're right. adding nothing they're doing a very good job a very hard job it's hot back there it's fast paced there's a you know you're 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 in the public certainly right now in this uh, we're still in the throes of this covid crisis they're they're certainly risking you know something their their health by being there but i'm like there's nothing about that experience of talking to the person at the window that's going to improve this this uh this dining experience yes uh, any more than just going through the uh than just going through the app and you brought up a really good point right is is that more and more now and and toast is certainly one of them um they've started optimizing that process yes so that number one it's more fun Right, it's more fun. Number two, you let the computers do the things that computers can do well, right? Which is sell. If the server is constantly upselling every every step of the way, would you like this? Would you like that? Would you like this on top? Would you like this on the side? After a while, you go like, okay, 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 stop, stop, stop. 
But if the computer keeps asking you if you want to add on, you know, do you want to make that a large? Do you want to add on the grilled onions for an extra buck? Do you want to, you know, suddenly you're just like, well, that's what the computer's told to do. Like, I appreciate. We just, we look at those interactions differently when a server keeps upselling us and when a computer keeps upselling us. And on the side of the operator, we want the opportunity to upsell them as many times as possible. Number one, to show them a better experience. Like, hey, this burger is better with some grilled onions and some jalapenos on it or whatever that, or... And we want to be able to drive more revenue as much as possible. And the computers uh, can do that better uh, than people oftentimes. I mean, it's amazing. The fact that, you know, going to Toast and this, you know, digital experience before we made a conscious effort to train all of our servers, to train all our bartenders that we have retail barbecue sauce. We have our regular Cali barbecue sauce and we have our jalapeno barbecue sauce, you know, make sure that if somebody would like to take that home that you offer it for them to take home we would create you know places on the physical menu real estate on the physical menu to make sure that it was highlighted but now because it's a digital feature and it's done much better than we ever did we're selling multiple cases a week when it would take us a month to sell one case of barbecue yeah. sauce. Multiple just because you can optimize it. Just because you can say at the checkout, hey, do you want to do that? You want to add this onto your order? Correct. Eight bucks, 10, whatever it is. Yep. Just you want to add this onto Correct. it. So, which goes back to the other piece that I've been spending a lot of time talking about over the last several years, which is diversifying your revenue streams. And uh, it's obviously something that's come to a head over the course of the pandemic, because if you made your money one way, people come in, they eat, and then they pay you, and then they leave. And the government shut you down, the world shuts down, you can no longer make that money that one way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super important that people do this, right? That you've got, you know, um, uh, on-site catering, off-site catering, a retail arm, an education arm, uh, you know, uh, all of all of that. So talk to me about how that has come into focus. Was that through the pandemic or is this something you were already working on pre-pandemic? I mean, pre-pandemic, we've, we've, we've considered ourselves an e-commerce company probably for the last seven years um, since we made our first, you know, real switch into, I think it, it probably happened when it was catering. Once we switched our catering to an online process where we no longer required the hostess, we never longer trained the host to go through the catering procedures to, you know, have a form at the host desk. Literally, we said, how do we make catering easier? Well, we answer all these questions. We create all the forms online. Therefore, we can have our catering manager can respond the same way we believe in digital hospitality. When somebody, we can put the entire menu there, frequently asked questions. All of a sudden, we started doing e-commerce sales through catering through our website. Once we did that, once we saw the first order processed where we literally didn't waste any of our floor manager's time, we didn't have a hostess that forgot to put, you know, a key question in which will help us write an invoice. No, literally it's a form on the website. Every answer needs to go there. That way we can generate a proposal. The proposal gets approved. We send them a link. They send a payment. All of a sudden we're making money digitally before we've actually done anything. Like that's an aha, oh my God moment where right. we work so hard in the restaurant to create a factory that maybe hopefully somebody, this amount of people are going to come in on a Friday to buy, you know, the 80 racks of ribs that we've slow smoked. Hopefully that happens because we have to sell out that we can have fresh, <laughs> like so many things have to happen in that where catering, we're guaranteed that money. We've already booked that money. And that was like this huge digital switch to, well, now with our toast technology, we can sell barbecue on friday that we haven't even cooked yet yeah we can guarantee somebody that even though we sell barbecue once we're out we're out we're going to prioritize that person that guarantees that they're going to come in for a future order and they have friends coming 
and they're hosting somebody on, you know, on their on on Friday evening, they're going to have 10 people over and they want five pounds of brisket and six racks of ribs. We're going to guarantee that order to them that no matter what, even if we sold out of those ribs, we've already set those aside because they paid us four days in advance. That changes our entire cash flow model. So then how else have you been doing this? Because really, we're talking about uh, to use the sports metaphor, right? Offense and defense. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. much the way that restaurants have operated for a couple hundred years is, uh, you know, you got a you got a box. Uh, you dress it up, you make it look really nice. You tell people what you're going to serve. You open the doors and you hope that they want that. You hope that they come in. That hasn't really largely changed. Yeah. And what is changing now is this this offensive model, right? Like, which is what uh, so much of marketing is, is, is going out and finding business and bringing it in, yeah. uh, giving people an opportunity. So how else are you adopting that offensive mindset uh, in all the different ways of your business? Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest way is the ghost kitchens. You know, the fact that we would never open up, it never was fine financially feasible for us to go and raise 1 million, 1.5 million to go locate another 5,700 square foot restaurant to build it to the same specs that we're trying to build a sports entertainment, 250 seats. That never was appealing for us to go after such thin margins. What is appealing is opening up a 200 square foot kitchen for less than $75,000 at a 12 month lease to beta test a market that we already know we're literally only opening up where search results are for barbecue. So we're leveraging our relationships with Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, Yelp, Google, looking at all the analytics to where are people searching for barbecue in these zip codes. So now instead of going to our real estate broker and our commercial broker and saying, hey, identify you know, where's the most traffic you know, that's typically, this is where all the traffic is. This is what my lease rate, like, no, we don't care about the traffic. We don't care about the space. We're flexible in the space because we're smoking everything at the master smokehouse. We're going to sell barbecue. We're going to deliver it. Once we're out, we're out at that micro location, but that gives us an aggressive growth plan that we've never had before. So then talk to me about that. So then have you guys started opening locations? Yet? Yes. So we've already opened our first ghost kitchen location in downtown San Diego. Um, that's been open since February um, of, of this year. We're going to open up our next. We just signed our next lease next to San Diego State. So the largest university. Um, we're going to be opening that in the next eight weeks. Um, you all know how opening a restaurant is. So whenever, whenever you say it's going to happen, it won't happen. It's like, correct. It's like, it's like figuring out when a baby's (laughs) going to be born. It's never, never the right day. So, and these are only, when you say ghost kitchen, it's, uh, digital only, it's only available on these on these so sites. It's, yeah, deliver, delivery and pickup. Um, actually, and some of them have takeout. So the two locations that we have have takeout features, but um, there's no place to dine in. Um, you know, there's a couple of patio tables at the at the San Diego location, but it's all built for digital. And so can people order that? Is it only through the delivery partners or also on your website? They can also order it on our website. And so, so that's a key piece to that as sure. well as you Absolutely. as you roll out more locations. Yep. Um, it will be either on the website or through the delivery partners. You'll Correct. leverage all that. Yep. I love this. It's great. Talk to me about third-party delivery because a lot has been said about it, the huge <laughs> commissions and all yes. that. But I know you have very specific opinions about it. Tell me how you're thinking about it and tell the people at home how they should be thinking about it. So for us, I know that there's a lot of talk out there about third party being the the evil the evil empire and anyone that's taking 30 percent of anyone um anyone's money 
it is easily evil. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's not a good thing, but for the way that we look at it, as we look at it as an investment, it's 2021. These are, this is the great race. This is the great digital race and we go where attention is. So back to the Yelp example, like, I don't care if you're a restaurant owner and you've had a terrible experience with Yelp and you've had a terrible experience with their sales staff, or you don't like the way that you got a review. There's 180 million people, active users on the platform every single month. The same number for Uber Eats. There's 120 million active users. So whether you think you should be on Uber Eats or not, in your product category, somebody is going to Uber Eats to search for a burger. Someone is going to search for salad. Someone is going to search for a poke bowl. And if you don't show up there, that sale is going to go to someone else. Do you want to spend 30%? No. I would, I would argue that you don't have to spend 30% if you're an experienced operator, if you're someone that's listening to this podcast, if you're smart enough to reach out to people like Chip, you can negotiate a much better rate than 30% like we have done, um, especially if you're an experienced operator. But the amount of opportunity that you have to bring in DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, or whichever are the primary players in your market, and to find technology like Otter that will integrate it so that it's not... And you can turn it on and off whenever you want. So slow peaks, busy peaks, you want to focus on your in-house dining. It's just another revenue center. It's an investment to build a relationship with the platform. And you never know where that relationship can take your brand. Because even if you have a huge menu that's all over the place, if you just sell steak on the platform and you become a steak brand and all of a sudden you realize, wow, we can just sell steaks. Look how much easier it is just to focus on steaks instead of focusing on all these other things that we do. So that's really great. So talk to me about that. So be on as many as you can because it's about attention and you want to go yes. where people are. So if you can be on all of them, be on all of them. Use an aggregator. Yes. Um, like Otter, Cubo, things like that, that can condense it all down so the orders all come into one place. Turn it on and turn it off whenever it's convenient. If, if uh, it's a busy Saturday night and you're not going to be able to fulfill the orders, then then switch it off. Talk to me about menu design because some food just isn't meant to travel. And I was talking mm -hmm. about Domino's, right? Domino's famously back in the 80s um, uh, developed a, a recipe where the pizza basically finished cooking on the way to the house, right? They made a they made a pizza that's not meant to be consumed right out of the Domino's place. Um, it's not very good. It's meant to, in essence, steam over the course of its trip. So it, the 20, 25 minutes that it takes to get from uh, the store to here, to my mm -hmm. house, um, is key to it, right? And so often people put things on the menu that just don't travel well, yeah. right? And so it's a substandard experience. How do you think about that, about making sure that the guest at home has as good of experience as possible? I mean, I think the most important thing for us was simplification understanding who we are and what do we do best and barbecue travels well i mean pre-pandemic like i told you we got rid of barbecue uh, breakfast so before the pandemic we on saturday and sunday i mean we were built on breakfast literally the first three years we wouldn't be open if it wasn't for breakfast but eventually right. we phased out breakfast we became a barbecue brand but we still kept breakfast on saturday and sunday when the pandemic hit not only did we get rid of breakfast we got rid of burgers we got rid of salads we got rid of all these complimentary things that we were known for that people love that i still get dms on instagram about like when is the cali burger coming back you know <laughs> when are these things coming back and unfortunately they're not coming back they're not coming back because we leaned in on our strengths to simplify our process so that we could do more volume. 
So literally on Father's Day, on 4th of July, on all these recent holidays, we haven't even opened up our dine-in business because we've been so busy collecting pre-orders. We've done more volume in four hours than we used to do in 12 hours as a full-service barbecue restaurant and sports bar. So on Father's Day, we would sell out a bar. This year, we sold out a barbecue in four hours. We did $24,000 in sales, you know, our highest sales volume for our single unit ever, all digital literally all digital. We turned off the phones, even where I recorded a, a voice memo saying, please order through our website. We're no longer taking phone orders. So no hostess was taken up any time. We're driving all of our orders through online orders, encouraging people to order ahead of time. And it's created a new business for us that we would never had otherwise. And we can serve more barbecue. I mean, so ultimate, how much ultimately that that's that's the most if we were doing burgers, we wouldn't be able to do twenty five thousand dollars in sales. Right. It would slow up all those ticket times and we'd probably do eighteen thousand dollars in sales to make those four people that, you know, can't live without our burgers. So then talk to me about the percentage in business and what is now coming through in pre-order like on a normal day, not not a not a not Father's Day, but like on a normal day on a normal Saturday, let's say. How much percentage of business is coming in through pre-order versus people just lining up? 30%. 30%. And you see that continuing yeah. to grow? Continuing to grow. Absolutely. Are you going to get to a place where you're at like 100%? Uh, I would love to have it 100%. Obviously, that would be phenomenal. But yeah, I mean, we want to change buying patterns. The, the easier we make buying barbecue for people, it's the same. I mean, Jeff Bezos started with books, <laughs> you know, like we all yeah. like I saw an interview recently, I think it was on TikTok, but somebody curated, you know, some clip of what he did. Once they had their first thousand users, he asked those users, you know, what else can we sell you besides books? And they got all kinds of different answers. And then one of the answers was a guy said, I want winter wipe of fluid. And he said, winter wipe of fluid. And he goes, why do you want that? He's like, well, I don't have it and I need it right now. <laughs> it's like, well, can we, can we really sell that to this person? But it's like, if you start with what's easy, start with what you do best. We do barbecue the best. So we're building literally our Amazon Prime for barbecue. How do we sell more barbecue? We open up more ghost kitchen locations. We share the story on social. We increase our revenue that way. But then we are still doing chicken wings. So like we never got rid of chicken wings. It was one of the one things that we did. But now we've launched a virtual chicken ring brand at our ghost kitchen location. Cost us nothing to do it, but now we're selling Cali wings and Cali barbecue, two of the same things that we're already doing at our existing restaurant, but now we're showing up in a different product product category in the San Diego market. So when someone's searching for wings, they're going to be able to find Cali wings as opposed to they're not going to look at Cali barbecue if they're searching for wings. So it's like so it, you have them as a separate correct, as a separate. Correct. Great. So I want to make sure to really hammer that home. So you've got that on a whole separate thing. It's being executed out of your kitchen, but for all intents purposes, Correct. it's another brand. It's another, um, it's a whole other concept. Yep. This is, uh, this is so good. Um, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. There are a couple of more questions that I do want to ask you, though, specifically about social media, the way that you're using social media and the way that you think operators out there should be thinking about social media. Because there was this thing of like, oh, you should be on it, right? That's what it was six years ago. You gotta yeah. be on social media, right? You gotta be on social media. And now I'm seeing that everyone, I think, understands that they have to be on it, but they don't understand why. And more important than that um, is that they're not using it till its fullest, right? There are so many brands still using uh, 
Instagram the way that they used it four years ago, uh, and that just doesn't work anymore. So talk to me about how you're thinking about social media has evolved. How much are how much money are you spending on there versus organic? How do you, how do you look at that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know anybody that's listening to the podcast, the the thing that I can impart that we've learned is every single person in your organization, everyone in your restaurant, chances are they all have a smartphone. Chances are very high that they have a smartphone. Every company that you're going to work with that's a social media agency, they're going to come in and they're going to check the box on social media. So they're going to come in for a photo shoot. They're going to take a bunch of photos and they're going to schedule out posts and they're going to do what you see most brands doing. What I would encourage anybody that's listening to this podcast is to back to what Phyllis told me on the podcast is leaning into your crazy showing who you are is that's the power of social, the vulnerability of social peeking back from the curtain, not just the sexy photo, you know, the photo that's finished, that's getting dropped on the table. But how did you make that plate? You know, what are you doing with your vendors? Back to the toast example, you know, start sharing the story of who you are as a restaurant owner, who you are as a chef, who you are as an operator, you know, things go wrong, but use video. Video is the easiest thing on your smartphone that you can go in to your camera app and take a less than 60 second video and you can post that on Instagram Reels. A 30 second video is what Instagram's rewarding right now. Is that gonna change? Probably will change. You know, they're doing that to counter TikTok. TikTok's another 60 second video. Now you can do up to a three minute video. But if you say a video of who you are, what you're doing, it adds a story. It adds a level of showing instead of telling. Telling is what most social is. I take a post and I take a picture. Here's my ribs. You know, buy my rack of ribs for $30. It was smoked for, for four hours. Well, what if I show you ribs, 80 racks of ribs that are getting slow smoked on the smoker, slowly on a rotisserie with my pitmaster pulling them off, and that's a video of 30 seconds. Now you see how the ribs were made. That's much more compelling. Now I start to show you, you know, why my pitmaster, my lady pitmaster Bernice does a phenomenal job, you know, getting ready on Father's Day, cooking 150 racks of ribs. How is she preparing those racks of ribs? Well, now you see the craft. Now it's just not just me telling you this is our barbecue. This is me showing you this is our barbecue. So if you are listening to this podcast, I know that you have the power within you to get out of your own way because I had to get out of my own way. I had to get out of my own ego, understanding like I'm 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 overweight, so that's my own problem. I have to deal with my own, <laughs> you know, my my own health. But I I'm, I don't sound the best. I might mumble over my words, but ultimately you have to publish. You have to take the smartphone, you have to take that video, whether it's you videoing yourself or you videoing your staff, but video it and post it. And don't worry that it didn't go viral. Don't worry that it didn't get 5 million views, but then do it the next day and then do it the next day and do it the next day. And then you're going to start to realize like now you're doing social media and you're developing connections with people that give you opportunities that you would have never had otherwise. If I wasn't on Clubhouse, I wouldn't have met you, Chip. Like, it's so much of stay curious, get involved. Like it's the get involved part that we all need to do. We can shake our heads, we can listen to the podcast, but we need to get involved. We need to publish. You know, we need to be vulnerable out there. Yeah. So, uh, so how do you help people get involved who feel either like they're in over their head, or they're uncomfortable in front of the camera, or they like like what's the best like what's the easy what's the easy lift to to be able to do that the easy the easy lift is to push people off the cliff 
it's literally <laughs> pushing them off the cliff because when I first got an appearance on local radio or I first got an appearance on local news, I was terrified. I was terrified that the local news anchor was going to ask me a technical question about barbecue that Gene, our pitmaster, could answer, but that I couldn't. Once I removed my ego and I got out of my own way, I don't have to know the answer. I'm always going to be able to answer what's true in my heart, what's my truth. And no one's going to tell the Cali barbecue media story the way that I'm going to share the Cali barbecue. No one's going to tell your restaurant story. We all want someone else to tell our story. We want the food critic to come in and tell, tell the world how great our restaurant is. But we, right now we have the technology to tell the whole world ourselves. We can tell them ourselves. We can have our staff tell them. We can have our sous chef tell them. We can have one of our vendors tell them why we're one of the favorite accounts. We can say why we care about the beer that we're bringing in here. And we can tell, you know, that we have so many relationships. Every village, you've created a brand. You've created something that people care about, that they love. If you're in business, you're so many people want to get into the restaurant business. That's literally why we talk about digital hospitality business. Every business needs to be digital, but every business needs to be in the hospitality business. If you're in the hospitality business, you have a gift. You can teach other small business owners hospitality. That's what other businesses need right now. Other brick and mortar businesses are striving to understand how to make a memorable moment. You yeah. already know how to make a memorable moment. Yeah, I totally, you know, I say this. It's such an honor that we get to, you know, that it, I did an episode about transactions a couple months back, right? And that, uh, that the normal transaction, especially nowadays, you know, digital is a couple minutes, a couple seconds. Yeah. And our transactions take hours it's an hour or two yeah from the minute they come in to the minute they pay that's all one transaction because they're still purchasing things they're still yep. they're still buying things that that's all part of the transaction what an opportunity uh, to not only drive more sales over the course of that long transaction uh, but to show more hospitality to convince them over the course of an hour or two um that they made a good choice in coming here yep. that they should tell other people that it was a good choice in coming here and to come back with other people to come back again and again and again uh, because it, again it was a good it was a good choice um, there are so many other places I can go with this. I'm going to hold it because we are going to do a round two. I, I swear. I, I love this conversation. What are, um, what are the hit lists, right? So people are sitting here and going, okay, okay. I should just do it. Like, what are the, like the five things if people are on the sidelines and they do what you said, right? They've got an agency or they hired somebody um, to do their social media and maybe their website's okay, but it's not great. And they know they're on Yelp, but they, they haven't claimed their page or they don't regularly check their review. I mean, what are the five things that people could or should do that, that are going to make a profound difference that, that they can do this week? They don't, it's not going to take a long, um, it's not going to be a long turnaround. So the number one thing I would do is to make a commitment to yourself to that you're listening to this podcast, but go into your phone. So whether you have an Android phone or an iPhone and move the camera app to the first page, move it to the most accessible place. That camera app is going to be the thing that is going to transform your business. You're going to take photos and you're going to take videos, but you need to make a commitment that every single day, no matter what, throughout the course of your day, it doesn't always have to be food. I don't care what you take pictures of. It could be pictures of your house. It can be pictures on your walk. Whatever it is, you need to make a commitment that you're going to learn how to take better photos and how to take short videos. Because learning how to take photos and better photos will start to open you up. You don't need to be a professional photographer. I'm not a professional photographer. I'm not a professional videographer, but I also know that no one's going to have my perspective and no one's going to get the access that I have to my brand 
where I can share that access to the world. I can share it to the village. So when I go into work and the pit master Bernice is there prepping for Father's Day, I'm actually not even doing the cooking. But I have my smartphone. Literally, it's funny. Whenever we get a, a media appearance, like they'll say, "Oh, I want a picture of Sean. I want a picture of you in the kitchen." I'm like me in the. If you want a picture of me in the kitchen, it's me in the kitchen with a smartphone because that's literally <laughs> all I'm doing. I'm either in selfie mode or I'm fil filming somebody else on my team. But it's it's the boots on the ground. It's empowering you or someone on your staff. You know, our social media policy is to be social. When you're on staff, we don't want people to have phones. So your manager, my managers have been empowered to use their phone to start to take photo and to start to take video because I'm not on site the way that I used to be. So when we're creating a new cocktail for the Padres, the San Diego Padres, Ian, my manager now will take a video of somebody making that cocktail, finishing that cocktail, and he'll send it to me and then I can post it. You know, I guarantee you, no matter if you have a social media agency, if you have someone else that helps with marketing, if you, the person that's listening, the answer is you. If you're listening to this and you start to take better photos and better videos, you can start giving them to your team and empowering them. And then all of a sudden you're going to make social content that you've always wanted. We all know what the content is that we want to see. The problem is we want someone else to do it. Awesome. I love it. Um, any final words of wisdom for the, the people at home? What, what else What else can they do, should they do, uh, and how else can they learn more about you, your podcast? We didn't even talk about the podcast, really, but it's so great. So tell me that. What else? Uh, where else can people go to learn more about you, uh, the restaurant, the podcast, and any final words of wisdom before we, uh, we cut you loose? Yeah, you can. CaliBBQ.media, that's the website. That's where you can see a mobile-first website. As much as we blog and we have a podcast and we have our YouTube channel, all those things are on the website. But you can see that we made a conscious decision to... If you confuse, you lose. And that's Donald Miller, Story Brand, a phenomenal book. If you want to improve your website, get Donald Miller's Story Brand. But if you go on our website, it's buy barbecue. We make it as easy as possible. Buy barbecue, order catering, sign up for our newsletter. If you go on our website, you see how we do it. But nonetheless, the most important thing is, like I said, the three things. Stay curious. You've already done step one. Get involved. Reach out to Chip. Chip has an incredible podcast. He has an incredible platform. He has a wealth of knowledge. Reach out to Chip or reach out to me. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at CaliBBQ.media. You can follow me on any social, at Sean P. Walchef. And then join Clubhouse. You know, Get involved and ask for help. This, this smartphone technology, this internet, I mean, a rising tide lifts all ships. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a ship. And you have the ability to bring on a lot of boats in your village and to make a huge impact if you make a commitment. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen right away. Um, but it's a day-by-day, day-by-day procedure. Sean, I adore you and your podcast and the brand you're building. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come to uh, talk to me and, and to all the listeners here. I appreciate all that you do, all that you stand for. Um, thank you so much for being here. Chip, I uh, look forward to having you on Digital Hospitality, our podcast, so I can uh, flip flip the microphone on you. I'm a huge fan of your work, and I appreciate what you're doing for the industry. So That would be great. I look forward to it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You got it.
Another big thank you to Sean for taking time out of his day to join us. Uh, tons of value. I hope you guys uh, got a lot out of this conversation. I meant what I said in the interview. Uh, we're definitely going to do a round two because I feel like we've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we can talk about, especially when it comes to his podcast and really what he's doing on the media side uh, to help uh, to help uh, promote his restaurant. Again, all of the links we talked about are in the show notes. Go and find them. Go find Sean. Hit him up. Go get barbecue. Uh, go listen to his show. It's a great Great, great podcast. Uh, that's it. Uh, a quick reminder, guys, that I've got my free ebook. Uh, I've been talking about this now for several weeks. Uh, again, I just want to keep reminding you uh, it is available totally free. How do you drive 10% more revenue overnight? I share 10 different tips. The ebook is like 12 pages long. You'll read it in 20 minutes and you will be able to implement this stuff right away. It will make an impact right away. Go to restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash revenue uh, to go get your own copy. That link, of course, is also in the show notes. Thanks again for joining me. Stay creative. I will see you next time. Restaurant Strategy is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as our Patreon supporters. A special shout out to all of our gold and platinum members, Ty Hames, Bob and Kate Carpenter, Scott Middleton, Chuck and Denise Close, Stephen and Ann Fagan, Mario D'Amatos, and Christopher Tana. If you want to become a supporter, please go visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, the link is in the show notes.